After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. We got another hearing. We got another hearing. More to talk about, Josh. Hearings. We are celebrating hearings. It's like that moment after a goal is scored. You have to hold your breath and see what happens next. Well, that's that's kind of where we are in terms of the hearing because we are awaiting a decision on Detroit's Michael Rasmussen for his hit on David Krejci. We will get into that and so much more on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure that you check us out on social channels. You get Josh with all his lineup information and much more at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. You get me on Twitter and Instagram as well at Todd Lewis Sports. On this week's episode, let's review. Oh, wait, we can't review. Too bad, so sad, nothing we can do. It looked like a kick to me, plus I'm going to puff out our collective chest a little bit on this, Josh, because from the statistics you sent me a couple of days ago, we are the kings of Kazakhstan. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We're, we're among the, the top, at least, when it comes to hockey over there. Maybe, maybe not actually kings or even knighted, but the Scouting the Rest podcast is one of the most popular podcasts in Kazakhstan. So clearly, this is a country that is craving information, craving knowledge about rules and how they are applied in the National Hockey League, and, and we are happy to provide that for them, as well as as well as the rest of the free world, wouldn't you say? I, I would, and I'm, I'm very glad from a hockey standpoint that the NHL is, is very big over there, so we'll, we'll keep those folks informed and uh, certainly um, you know wait for that moment when a Kazakh official can join the National Hockey League. At one point in the future, perhaps we will see it. All right. As we mentioned quickly off the top, we are awaiting on the punishment that will be offered to Detroit's Michael Rasmussen for a hit on David Krejci of the Boston Bruins. The Red Wing defender kind of rode the Bruins forward into the boards. Nothing really to see there. However, as he spun around from the hit, he clunked him on the head with his stick. Krejci left the ice in a somewhat woozy state. Rasmussen was given two minutes for high sticking. He also picked up a cross-checking penalty and a delay of game penalty in the same contest. Watching this, looking at it, it seems pretty simple to me. He's going to get a game and sit for one, I think, on this one. I think that's about right. I would put this maybe a shade lower than what we saw with Kuznetsov, who was suspended one game earlier this season. It's an intentional stick swing. It makes contact with the player up high. It's, a, it's as player safety put it before, it's the purposeful nature of the swing and the location where it lands on the opponent that got Kuznetsov one game, and it's the same concept that I think we'll get one for Rasmussen. Would this be more negligence or recklessness than malicious, I would think? 
to me, this is this is a little more in that category, Todd, of, of reckless, careless. You know, you're you're reactionary. You're swinging your stick. Not as much of the the premeditated or the necessarily intent to injure. So uh, yeah, I think that's what makes it fall in that one game bucket. So yes, I think a game is appropriate here. But just to revisit last week's podcast and pick at the old scab a little bit, Kuznetsov didn't get enough. No, no, I and that's why I said I think I feel like this is a little lower than what we saw from Kuznetsov. I I put this a notch below. I still think it deserves the game, but then again, I I thought Kuznetsov deserved more. I thought his was a a bit more. Uh, I don't know if I want to say premeditated, but a little bit more less reactionary and more retaliatory in nature. And and to me, that that bumps it up maybe a little bit more than one game. But I think one is fair for Rasmussen. Okay, uh, you knew that we were going to get to this eventually, so. At this point in time in the podcast, we're going to talk about video review. Should we have more? Should we have less? Should it be the same? I don't know. But here's a couple of game incidents from the past week that may influence your decision going forward. In the Panthers-Islanders game this past week, Mark Stahl was whistled for a four-minute high sticking penalty that was called a double minor, meaning it can be reviewed. Turns out, They take out the tablets, they have a look and think, "Uh uh-oh, we got the wrong guy. It was Matt Kirstad that had his stick up and he wound up in the box. Video review, good. This seems to me, Josh, is the system is working exactly the way it should. Well... Yeah, they got the right guy. So I guess ultimately we we got to the right conclusion. And the whole point of video review is to make the right call in the situations and circumstances where you can. So it just happened that this play was eligible for review and they happened to be able to get the right guy as a result. That's not really what they're looking for in this review. I mean, certainly they see it so they can make that correction. But with that double minor review, they're really evaluating whether this was the opponent's stick or whether it was friendly fire, your own stick, a teammate's stick that that may have caused the injury. So that's what they're looking for in the review. But it, it is a nice side benefit that they can confirm which player it was that caused the high stick and deserved the penalty. All right, let's continue the discussion on video review. A couple of nights later, it's the New York Rangers and Colorado Avalanche. National game, ESPN. The referees blow the whistle for a high stick by Alexi Lafreniere that clips Colorado defenseman Kale McCarr. However, before they even get Lafreniere into the box, the replay rolls on TV and in the building, and it clearly shows that it is teammate Devon Taves that has the lumber up high and hit Makar. So, as we watch on TV, they show in the building that the referees are on the headsets, but hold on just a second. Only a two-minute penalty is called for high sticking, and that means Brian Pakmara and Eric Furlad are reviewing what they shouldn't be reviewing and the penalty has to stand. And I don't know who had to deliver the news to Gerard Gallant, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't happy hearing it. Oh my gosh, I feel like that that time at the iPad was just drawing straws to figure out who, who's going to break the news. Who <laughs> I'm wants not to telling go them, you tell them. Right, exactly, because it's, it's an unfortunate spot. I mean, as an official, you want to make the right call and you want to use all the tools that you can to make sure that you are making the correct call. And there is nothing worse than the feeling when you know you've made the wrong call and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I, I don't want to say they're they're wishing for blood, but if there were blood, <laughs> they could review the penalty and they could wipe it out. And, uh, you know, Lafreniere wouldn't get called for the penalty to have to sit in the box. But 
with no injury on the play, they can't review it. So you're at that spot where you've seen it. You you know it's the wrong call, but you're you're committed to it. You're locked in. And at that point, there's nothing you can do to change the call that's being made. It's a terrible feeling. And unfortunately, in this case, one that was right in their faces because they, they got a chance to see it, to know it was wrong. But unfortunately, given the NHL's scope of video review, not eligible for review means you, you have to go with the call on the ice, unfortunately, for the Rangers, Gallant and Alexi Lafreniere. This is the unfortunate part, as you mentioned, about the NHL rulebook. And this is sometimes what's going to happen when you try to make it either A or B. The light switch is on or the light switch is off. There is no a little bit of a gray area that you can interpret. This is, you've called this, so it must be this. And that's what hurt everyone here. But it also seems like this could and should be an easy fix. Well, you don't want to get into reviewing every penalty. And I think that's where the league has has drawn the line on what they consider is eligible for review and what's not. And you've seen them expand that a little bit over the years. You know, we've added in missed stoppages and, and now we've added in the review for the major penalties or match penalties. And even coming into this season, the ability to rescind the penalty completely instead of just downgrading it. So they've dipped their toe in the water and they've kind of pushed it a little bit more each year. But I, I don't think they want to get to the spot where you're reviewing penalties and things like that. The hard part of it is you're going to have situations like this one. Now, if you did want to open that can of worms, Todd, you know, do you look at then all high sticks just to make sure it was an opponent's high stick and not a teammate's high stick? I mean, you have the other situations like tripping. Do you want to see if he stepped on a stick or if you caught the guy's skate? You start going down that slippery slope of reviewing every single penalty. And I think that's the league's concept is there aren't that many double minors for high sticking. And four minutes is a big deal. So let's get that right. But then you see that the line between two and four sometimes isn't as strong as you think it might be. And and now you're in a situation where that's making the difference on a reviewable play or not. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough spot to navigate for the officials, they're committed to whatever the league has decided. So it's really out of their hands. But it will be up to the NHL and, and the Board of Governors to say, you know, do we want to expand this? Are we satisfied with getting a few calls wrong or having a review process that doesn't let us get this call right in some situations? And that's the tricky part. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, is there a way to have kind of a, a catch-all with this? The, the way goals that are scored are always glanced at quickly to make sure that they're legal. In the same sense, we have time between the, the penalty being called, the offending player going to the box, and everyone lining up for a face-off and changing lines, that there is time to have a glance at these penalties, minor, major, whatever, if there is an obvious missed call, would this be something that, like they do for a missed goal, you sound the horn and let the referees know? Boy, I think that's that's something that I know some folks have championed, the uh, the eye in the sky up there. And I know I've had some folks on Twitter who are big proponents of having that official watching overhead and checking those penalty calls or the missed penalty calls to try to assess them with a uh, either sounding the horn or a digital whistle, if you will, to blow the well, whistle but not, and stop not play. Not during play. I don't want that during play, but okay. I think during a stoppage, maybe it's something that we look at. Yeah. I, 
I think the challenge is is in getting it done quickly. Uh, if you can do it quickly and consistently, so you don't slow down the game, then then maybe that's something you look at. Heck, maybe that's what the NHL has in mind when they wanted to use player tracking to call penalties uh-huh. to get some data around it. But I think that the hard part is, can you do that without delaying the faceoff or without slowing the game down? And 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 that's the challenge, right? Because if if time weren't an issue. You'd love to get every call right and make sure that it was the right call before you drop the puck. But, you know, we we still need to keep games at a manageable two hours plus length. Okay, fair enough. Now, let's get to another area of video review that often gets contentious. And this has to do with how goals are scored that do not involve a stick. In the Canes and Canucks game, going back to the losing start to the season before Vancouver got into the win column, Carolina's Jesper Faust directed a pass into the Vancouver goal. Replays, review, frustration for some in the decision, but this was called a good goal. Are we sure this wasn't a kick? It was a very difficult call, and you and I talked about this just before we started recording the podcast, and I, I said it looked kind of kicky to me. It, it absolutely does. I mean, we've always had that debate on what is considered a kick or what is a distinct kicking motion and, and what will the NHL allow? And again, like, we, like we've seen with replays, they've expanded their definition of what is permissible off of the boot. That it used to be allowed to have it hit your skate when you were stopping and then they expanded to allow it to be redirected intentionally so you can turn your skate you can position your skate to redirect it into the net you can't kick it in and i think this one if i had to guess and and we don't have any more insight on in the league they haven't put anything else out explaining the ruling on this situation which i, I would love to hear but you have a situation where Fast undoubtedly is turning his skate. He knows that the puck's coming. He sees what's going on. He's putting his skate in a spot where he can deflect it in. And in doing so, he's extending his foot to make sure he makes contact with that puck to get it to deflect past the goaltender. The line to me, the only thing I can see from the NHL standpoint is that he moved his foot. He moved his foot forward to redirect it. But that the motion he made, even though it looked like a kicking motion, which, I mean, that's what we've we've sold our souls to the distinct kicking motion uh-huh. lords, but that it deflected off of his skate while he was turning it, and he didn't actually propel the puck into the net through that motion. That's the only spot I can see, Todd, that, that may make sense in why, and, and depending on which angle, it, it's pretty damning from the reverse angle, which I'm looking at right now, mm-hmm. where, I mean, it, it looks like a soccer kick, but what he was doing is getting his foot in position to deflect it in, and the NHL thought that was enough of a deflection and not a kick that was propelling the puck in, that they let the goal stand. But like you said with with reviews, you get into that gray area of trying to define, you know, what is a kick? What is a deflection? What does it mean to propel the puck? And none of those are cut and dry. None of them are black and white. It's often like goaltender interference that sometimes it's a bit of a difficult call. And we had one in this game as well between Carolina and Vancouver. The ruling from the NHL, once again, discusses our new favorite phrase of the 22-23 season, a significant presence in the crease was deemed to have been committed by Paul Stastny against Thatcher Demko, and it took away Carolina Hurricanes' goal. 
I'm wondering if this is a new hashtag we should be following. I think it is. I'm I'm wondering, Todd, if we should actually trademark a significant position in the crease. I, I like that. I like <laughs> I, that. I don't know if it should go on T-shirts, uh, you know, a podcast, what it should be. But I, I think the significant position is starting to become a, a pretty big deal when it comes to goaltender interference. Yes. And uh, I guess we're going to see more of it. I do have another question about goaltenders, too. It is my understanding, Josh, that if a goalie leaves the crease, it does not mean it is open season and you can just run a goalie or knock him around or knock him down or anything like that because he's out of the crease. Am I correct there? You are 100% correct. And the rule book is clear that a goaltender is not fair game just because he is outside of the goal crease. So you don't have the same ability to play a goaltender or defend or, or protect the puck like you do with a, a, a skater on the ice. Okay, so here's where I'm confused. What I wasn't aware of is that apparently when goalies leave the crease and skate to the bench on a delayed penalty call, they have basically an open carry permit to commit all kinds of crimes. <laughs> this was demonstrated to me by Penguins goaltender Tristan Jari, who left his crease in the game versus Edmonton. Uh, I don't know how you want to put this. I'll just say he sort of overwhelmed Oilers forward Leon Dreisaitl. That is a good way to put it. I mean, you're going off for the delayed penalty. You want to have that skater replace you. And I, I guess he just decided to take a path that not only brought him directly into the path that Dreisaitl was taking, but just for good measure, decided to reach out with his arm and then do a, a double leg takedown there <laughs> to drop Dreisaitl <laughs> to the ice. So, uh, yeah, I, I think to me, Todd, this was a little bit more than uh, accidental contact on the way off the ice. I, I think it, it happened to be somewhat uh, intentional on Jerry's part. I would have liked to have heard the audio between the two afterwards, don't you think? <laughs> oh, God. I can only imagine. I, I don't even think Dreisaitl saw him coming. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got goal pads wrapped around your leg, your, your face planting on the ice. And it was blindside as they come. But something that I was surprised avoided detection of the officials there to me you've got a delayed penalty coming up and i think that would have and should have negated it that is clear textbook interference on the way off the ice you could have called interference maybe holding maybe tripping takedown that's a, there there was a variety of options there anyhow this was one that that got missed okay as we wrap things up i've got a a topic i want to get into a bit of a discussion with you I'd love to get some listener input on this as well. So if you want to weigh in to us via social channels, at Scouting the Rest for, for Josh, at Todd Lewis Sports for me. I'm reading a story about the Oilers and the Hawks game this past week. This was, I don't know, maybe it was a bit of a throwback game at parts because the final score wound up being 6-5 in favor of the Oilers. And there were some great years where the Oilers won games by 6-5 scores. The author of this particular game recap story was Robert Joukowsky. And I'm not saying his name to pick on him because I, I know there's lots of other longtime hockey reporters and others that feel the same way as Robert did. To sum it up, he crapped on the game because of the refs. And here, let, let me explain why. He liked the first period of the game because it was intense, but then in the second period, it was, quote, an absolute train wreck. And of course, Robert felt this way because 13 minor penalties were called. There was less than five minutes of the period played five on five. And okay, I get that this might be your opinion. But in the same piece, as I read further along, he goes on to recap some of the calls. Slashing calls, 
cross-checking calls, hooking, unsportsmanlike conduct for chirping, goalie interference, and a challenge against that was upheld, which is an automatic. So what I'm wondering here, this seems like there were some pretty legit infractions. Which ones should the refs have let go if there were too many penalties? I mean, if, if infractions are flagrant, uh, how do you fault the stripes for calling them? Right. And if you're calling it to the same standard and you're consistent with both teams, and we have seen plenty of situations where, you know, the first period goes a certain way as things start to pick up, the intensity goes, they're telling both benches, hey, we're going to start calling these guys. We're going to take one guy or you need to watch the sticks. And they started taking guys. I don't have issues with any of the penalties that were called. Sure, there were more of them. I mean, this was the third highest penalized game of the season, and these were all minor penalties. So it was quite a parade to the penalty box, but they were all earned. I mean, they were all deserved penalties. They were calling it even for both sides. When folks say we need to call the rule book or we need to call things consistently, it was consistently called. These were the rules that were being violated. So what do you want them to do? Let let it go? Do you want them not to call penalties? Do you want to change the standard here? It's funny that you you mentioned the Oilers writer. I, I came across Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times, who I, I love it, mentioned that the game's scoring ended up nearly equaling its refereeing in terms of absurdity. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at least he, he, you know, he, he called it out. And I think he put it brilliantly for referees Chris Rooney and John McIsaac they called an extremely tight game particularly in the second period and the Hawks and Oilers played an extremely undisciplined game and I think that encapsulates it they called it properly and, and fans can take issue either way but if you're going to commit the fouls you can't complain when the officials call it and I think they did a good job so as mentioned we'd love some feedback there's a, a little more on this on the scoutingtherefs.com website josh has got a good post up about it and if you want to weigh into us on our social channels and i don't know what the alternative josh other than dare i say managing the game no no, no call it by the book right call everything the way it's written and then i don't know todd nobody's nobody's ever going to be happy you can't please all the fans You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's nicely done. That's good work.